Before we get started, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It only takes a couple of seconds, and most likely you're probably on either one of those apps this very moment. A little bit of effort on your end goes a very long way in getting this podcast to as many people as possible. We're all on this journey of awakening and self-discovery. Let's help some other people tune in and listen to these authentic, connected, inspiring conversations. I won't talk your ear off anymore. We got a great episode, and here it is. Welcome to Opening Presence, the podcast about creative self-realization. My name is Aaron Robinson. Thank you so much for joining me. In today's episode, I sit down with Brandon Scott Harrell. He's a photographer, writer, and key contributor to my favorite outdoor lifestyle brand, Earth Studies. In this conversation, we discuss the freedom and chaos of growing up in a punk band, the divisive sorcery of online marketing, and the importance of seeing the bigger picture when it comes to our creative work. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, without further ado, welcome to Opening Presence. Welcome to Opening Presence. My name is Aaron Robinson. Thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful day in, I would say, a top five backyard in all of Portland, Oregon. Today, I am joined by Brandon Scott Harrow. How are you? I feel pretty good. Well, I'm tired, and I uh, was out late, and I uh, drank a bunch of different stuff yesterday, but I feel pretty good. Was water one of the things that you drank yesterday? Dude, I've been having this issue where like I don't want to get up in the middle of the night, mm. so I just don't drink water before I go to bed, mm-hmm. and then I just kind of accept that like the morning is going to be a little harder, but I get to sleep a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, so honestly, man, I might have gone six hours without any water. Oh, damn. I mean, before bed. Yeah. <laughs> Totaling maybe 13 or so. <laughs> what did you have uh, to substitute for water? What were the drinks of choice? Dude. Um, well, like Pilsner or Kel is my thing right now. I kind of like, um, I'm over craft beer. Mm. Um, I'm a little sick of like, you know, hazy IPAs and whatever. And like, I figure if some Germans have been making the exact same beer and only that beer for like 300 years, they got it. Yeah. So I kind of just been like trusting the Europeans. Mm. So I had some Pilsner or Kells. Some wine at about midnight or so. We went to um, a sports bar and I had a a last word, which is one of my favorite cocktails. What's in that? Well, the most fun, I'm glad you asked. The most fun ingredient is is called green chartreuse and it's made by monks who live on a mountain. The recipe is like this closely guarded monk secret. It's like kind of like a potion. Mmm. That's dope. I wonder if they've. Like meditated on it and changed the genetic structure of it. I bet they. I bet um, that they're cultivating the plants maybe up there on the mountain, and that there's probably some really interesting uh, plant 
plant magic going on with these monks because like they've been making chartreuse like i would have to look it up but we're talking like centuries yeah like before the liquor industry existed as it does today this was really more of like a tonic yeah or like a potion yeah until the europeans grabbed it and then had to make a business out of it yeah we got to get this going in all available markets yeah we were talking about i think yesterday when you or when we went shooting a couple of days ago where we we're talking about the placement of items at the grocery store and like how intentional each item is at different eye levels. Like people know that cereal is like placed low for kids like to see the eyes of Tony the Tiger. So they reach and grab Tony the Tiger. Mm-hmm. But then it's like if you're a six foot tall person, there's like a specific. This is Kashi like, up pos- there, dude. Yeah. <laughs> there's just, there's just Kashi. <laughs> but yeah just like how like how deep like consumerism goes and how deep like these markets go and like we think that we have a lot of free will when it comes to selecting certain things but advertisers catch us at every single turn and it's so deeply ingrained in our society that we don't even recognize it and the words that are used for certain things um i was talking on a lot on another podcast where i like saw a sign for like an adult bookstore that said guilty pleasure and i was like oh like i need to really break down my relationship to pleasure because i've been guilty about pleasure pleasure my whole life um and whether that's making decisions about buying certain things or how we feel about ourselves like how much we are being kind of guided into uh decisions that maybe aren't uh, fully ours. Yeah, man. I I have been working on this like thought lately. One of the things that like I mentioned earlier is always kind of just like working in the back of my head that eventually I find the words for it and then I write about it or whatever. But one of those things is that this, the actually totally inappropriate and intrusive nature of marketing that I, I think it's like a form of, and I'm like using this really loosely because I'm not particularly spiritual in this way, but I think it's a form of like black magic, to, especially now that we're in this heavily data-driven marketing landscape where like, you know, the people who want to sell me stuff know a crazy amount about me and they can specifically position my exposure to information. Or they can p- position information so that my exposure to it has a, like a, profound impact on the decisions that I make and I think it's a form of intrusion like when you look outside of the context of like how much we've normalized the market it's really weird it's fucked up and it's weird and it's a form of like manipulation and like again like loosely like this black magic of being like we know we have all this information about humans and we can harness it in this really effective way to like you know, what they're doing is they're changing our lives. Like, you can put it very simply, they're changing our lives. Like, the food that we eat, the places we go, everything that we interact with, that's, that, that's it's profound. Mm-hmm. But at this point, it's so, like, ingrained that it, it's like, do we know what our lives would be without it? Right. That's the next stage of that thought is kind of like, well, okay, who am I then? <laughs> how can you discern cue the crying <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well how do i discern what i actually care about in a way that comes from me how do i define me is it a set of consumptive patterns 
because that's the like highly cynical nature of the market too is that essentially i'm defined by a, a set pattern of consumption and we i think we unconsciously kind of internalize that and many of us you know like i see like you see this shit on like dating apps or whatever where they're like i define myself as like someone who likes the office or whatever and it's kind of like uh-oh <laughs> i i think there's more I'm sure there's more, but it makes sense that a lot of us have kind of not been very in touch with it, Mm -hmm. who we are essentially. Do you feel like you've been able to assess and construct who you are over the years? Because I I like diving into kind of people's personal philosophies and the experiences that guided them into a place of more knowing in hopes to inspire other people to engage with their own process because it's not all going to look the same, but... Like your experiences are your experiences and we have our own monumental shifts in perspective along the path. Some of them are early, some of them are later. But if we can kind of go back and see like where did you grow up and maybe what are some of the early things that you think contributed to your worldview? Oh, man. Well, it's like in in my case, the the intervention is like highly specific and very easy to discern. Um. I'm not sure precisely why I started skateboarding, except that like a suburban kid. So I was like a skateboarder, and I was at my local skate park, and there was just a show there. There was a punk show there. I didn't know there was a show there that day. I went to the skate park every day, and I remember um, there's one. One of the bands was called Fugue, which was like a word that I literally looked up in the dictionary the following day, <laughs> and it was like an inspiring kind of concept to discover but anyway i saw like these punk bands and i was listening to punk music on like cds i bought from the mall and whatever and was like downloading shit on napster and then i saw bands that like i had never heard of that i would have had never had any opportunity to have heard of and these dudes are i don't know man like i was 12 or something so maybe they were 18 19 and they were from like texas and there were at least three bands and they were on tour and they played at my skate park and I couldn't fucking believe that these dudes were like in my town. They had never been to Bremerton, Washington, and they were like there playing music for me. And the energy at the show was just crazy. Like it was summer, people kept, were just skating, other people were moshing, and the band was just like playing at my skate park. And I was like, oh fuck, I have never seen freedom before mm. until I saw this. Like truly, these dudes were so far past like the fringe they had no money they got paid 20 bucks to play this show you know and then that became my life many years later like i almost didn't finish high school because i started touring like in my senior year and then i did that for years and because i was doing that and because i didn't have any money and because i was playing hardcore punk and because i was so immersed like touring sometimes like 300 days a year or whatever I didn't know what popular culture was doing. I didn't have a cell phone, dude. Like, I remember, like, my dad bought me a cell phone because he's like, I'm tired of not knowing whether or not you're alive. And then I, like, three days later went on tour and, like, lost it on the beach in L.A. (laughs) So, like, I was just, like, a non-being in our culture. And, like, no one was listening to the music I was playing. We'd play for, like, 200 kids on a good night. But again, we're just some band from somewhere and they have a good time, they watch it and then we leave and it's over. And and because of that, all the freedom that I had doing that and because of being so 
insulated or isolated from the influence of popular culture, like truly. Like I was seeing billboards and shit and would hear the radio sometimes, but I just was like a non-being, you know, like completely outside. And so I, I got to kind of figure out any of a lot of what have remained true and essential things about myself mm. through that. Wow. That's like a blessing, though. That's like it's almost like a fairy tale that people like wish that they had. And obviously, like there's like the trials and tribulations that are glamorized by like the consu- like by the market <laughs> it's like yeah. like freedom and, and expression and all that kind of stuff but they don't really like tell like the struggle portion of it mm-hmm. um and many many probably sleepless nights uh in a car or <laughs> on a park bench or dude you or name just it. wandering <laughs> wandering the <laughs> the united states with with not a lot of uh connection to like the mass flow of information or at least it it wasn't probably as massive as it was uh, as it is today like people weren't holding the internet in their hand when i was doing this shit we would print out map quest directions and put them in a binder i remember those days of map quest of, yeah. of like going to like a new friend's house or something and then like printing off directions and then handing it to like your parents to drive you type yeah. of thing like oh you got to print off the map quest before you before we leave type of thing i used to write down i used to have like a scooter and i also i just didn't have a smartphone for a long time even after i kind of like reintegrated with society and i remember having a scooter and i would write in my little notebook and i like i would tape the instructions onto my speedometer for like where i needed to go (laughs) on my scooter (laughs) what was your band name called oh man well i was in a lot of bands my first tour i went on was with the band from olympia called stop it nothing Mm -hmm. and they were like friends of mine these are all like hardcore punk bands. In my hometown, I had another hardcore band called Count the Hours, and then I played in a band called Trash Talk um, that is like has had a lot of success. And we were we were real scrappy when I was traveling with them, and they've kind of gone on to like collaborate with Odd Future and have a bunch of meaningful brand partnerships and mm-hmm. have done done really really well through a ton of hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the that's the band that probably anyone has ever heard of that I've been that I've played with yeah did you play any instruments or you said you were the vocalist oh no I'm primarily a drummer okay and that's what I did oh sick almost all the time nice through this experience of freedom at an early age like what do you feel like are kind of like the traits or the things that you onboarded through that type of experience that not a lot of people because I feel like there's like resilience and being able to like see something through even though there aren't any signifiers along the path because i feel like these days what holds a lot of people back is like there has to be a guarantee of success at the end of it or else i'm not even going to pick up like i'm not even going to try unless there's some semblance of understanding that this is what it's going to give me which is why a lot of people go to school and there's a go to school for four years and you can get a job and blah 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 blah. not like you can't get a job without going to school but Mm -hmm. um i think taking that path of course it's like yeah i want to be a world famous like musician but i think with a lot of musicians it's just the passion to create something and to live a certain type of lifestyle and whatever happens happens um but yeah what do you feel like that experience gave you i mean one of the most profound things that sticks with me and i'm not playing music with other people now um was that there were some, in sometimes for stretches of years i would play consistently with one or two people um, and most of the time these people were like my best friends. So we were, we were 
hiking together, traveling together, eating, you know, living together. And you would get into a state with people sometimes where if you're like practicing or just bullshitting in the basement where you play music and everyone's just kind of making sound and you would all together sometimes find a, a thing and everyone locks in and you've never talked about it before and you all get to the same place at the same time and then you all change at the same time and you get into this crazy flow with people where the your intuitions are so tuned from like just physically sharing space and from like doing all of your life together that the intuitive choices you make as musicians are synchronized and that's like a really people don't get to do that Mm-mm. you know to have this almost like psychic i don't i'm hesitant to call it that but it may be but to get into this crazy freely collaborative flowing shared almost shared dream like space like bruce springsteen says that like a band is a shared dream mm. and i think that's really beautiful and that, that that's how it feels and so that's crazy to be like when my creative energy is just like integrated with someone else's in a way where you can't see the boundaries mm. uh, is really special and i and i miss it a lot yeah do you think you've experienced that in other areas of life whether it's in conversation or i don't know like a dance party or whatever or do you not spend that time of in, like intimate time with people as much to be able to cultivate that sort of unique experience I think because I've been exposed to it, because it was the driving desire of my life for a long time, I'm always like trying to detect it anytime I'm like sharing an experience with people. Mm. And I do find it like on like a camping trip or in a situation where you're cooking dinner with someone who you know really well, you can kind of be like, I need the onion and it just appears <laughs> next to you, you know? <laughs> Saboya. <laughs> like yeah and it's like you turn around to like grab the cheese grater and someone's just holding it mm-hmm. so i think a lot of people do get into this um just maybe uh they're not really aware i, I have no idea but I, it's just what i'm saying is it's something that i value tremendously that i'm really like seeking and aware of and that's one of my big takeaways from this from all those years of doing that yeah no that's very interesting and i think i sort of i feel exactly what that what that is and and i think it requires like so much trust and comfort and it's like i've in the past i feel like i try to like expedite the trust and comfort because i'm like a really like i'll connect like pretty early and often i'm like yo like let's let's make magic immediately Mm -hmm. and i i think i've sought a lot of people in my life that weren't at that place so i would kind of be forcing it in a sense of just like yeah we're connected right like i remember having like a sleepover at a friend's house on like their birthday and i'd always imagined like those fun sleepovers that like boys have but like in the movie when like the whole room is like all a wreck and like they like like popcorn on the yeah floor. popcorn like <laughs> yeah. there's like like clothes and things like, like like the hangover movie when the next morning happens and everybody's just all over the place and it's just like oh they got rowdy yeah. but i try to like re- try to like recreate that type of moment i'm like all right like you over there you over there and like pretending that we're asleep but it's not like a genuine like we didn't party till the sun came up and eating right. cookies and and shit like that but it's like i wanted to have like that unique transcendent experience with friends and stuff but uh yeah, just never really uh, naturally got to that place. Yeah, it's 
dude, I was just thinking thinking through this. It's uh I started writing about it and I couldn't quite do it. I was like on acid and just thinking about like my friends and stuff. And uh that's what I do. That's like all I ever think about is like that's what the that's what acid is showing me right now is like how am I relating to people and how mm. do I feel about that? And one of the things that I was like thinking through is like connects to what you're saying in that um I have previously tried to choose or I've tried to look for my people, right? When like I'm living with people. The, who else would it be? Mm-hmm. And and like it's we're under so much temptation right now to imagine that we could that we can or that we do exist in some life different from our own. And and to imagine that my friends are all these like insanely hot, well-read, clever people on Twitter or whatever and I, maybe i would love it if they were but i have no yeah. idea but like my the my people are like the people that i'm having breakfast with mm-hmm. it like and i need to we all I, i'm speaking to myself and and to like all the people i know who are so deeply engaged in this fantasy escapism thing that we learn from the internet that like i have not valued the people that are actually in my life nearly enough by being so tempted into like, where's this fucking designer that I think is cool? Does he think I'm cool? Like whatever. Yeah. Dude, I resonate with that fully. And like the curating part of it of like, Oh, I want, like you said, like the good looking people that, that have this clout and, and trying to impress those types of people with my ability to do X, Y, and Z, which is such bullshit, dude. dude. Like I, but then I, I think I have been like really, really leaning into and appreciating the people I do have in my life. Cause it's like, I carry myself. I'm like, Oh, like, like fashion forward, like in an ex to an extent, like style and all that kind of stuff. But like my best friends, like, I don't dress well, like for the most part, like nobody dresses like the way that I like that I dress or whatever, like they dress in their own. There's like, they don't care about that shit. They care about like the conversations that I, that we have, like my conversations with like my best friend, like Aline, like she doesn't give a fuck about clothes, Mm -hmm. like at all. She cares about helping people and, and being of service and making soup and, and just kicking it in the backyard and growing her vegetables and stuff and mm-hmm. like real meaningful shit. And I don't think I ever like overlooked that. Um, but I think the drive to seek something that we're missing is something that I've kind of quelled. And I'm like, no, I got more than enough. I'm fucking blessed. I got great people in my life. And um, I still catch myself like trying to position people and attract people to be a part of certain groups like the cool the cool kids and all that kind of stuff but it's like i realize like i don't care about fucking sneakers why do i like why why do sneaker aficionados like lead the quote-unquote culture of relevant and what's cool it's like i'd much rather go to a creek with a couple of friends and like eat these sandwiches that we made in this cheese board like that's way cooler than the new Travis Scott drop and Dude. prioritizing what we gravitate towards naturally. And then like waiting to see like the values emerge from whatever's in this proximity instead of I'm going to run out over there and, and, and try to find a place that's already overcrowded and oversaturated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I keep asking myself versions of, of these questions and, and I try to ask this in any places where people are like paying attention to what I think. It's like, what do you want? And what are you seeking? Because mm. the space between those things is really enlightening. So like, what are you pursuing right now? And what is your like actual wish? Because I think we're in a strange time where like we're conditioned to be striving toward things that we don't value like truly if we were to be like sober with ourselves or kind of like i was just i was just thinking through this about like my phone what do i want this thing to do for me and what do i use it for are those things different and why Mm. and for me those things are very different i want my phone to be this little portal to like inspiration and connection what do I use it for? I use it to fucking completely burn myself out on like the most doomy shit I can find on the worst corners of the internet. And like, wh- why is why is what I want from it different from how I use it? And how did I get there? Mm-hmm. Marketing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, and and this again, this like crazy um, leveraging of this of this like human. Uh, of the like aggregate human behavioral data of like if we make it more likely if we make it more rewarding to his nervous system for him to do to get to me mm-hmm. <laughs> then he'll stay on this thing longer and we can serve him more like boner pill ads mm-hmm. and like <laughs> it's not like necessarily that profitable for me to be inspired and engaged because then i'm just gonna go make shit Mm-hmm. Which is one of the worst things you can do in the face of capital is use your own like creative energy to produce. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. How do we become autonomous outside of the? I call it like it's like a reward system based off of our usership from like the apps or what's there. But I don't know. I feel like I'm in the best creative flow I've ever had. But it's not like efforting. How did this space come about? Because it's like I still fall through toxic spirals within the platforms, but there's just an awareness of like, oh, I got to back away. Yeah. And it's like, there just has, you don't have to have full, perfect self control over everything. And I think being in touch with what's going on or the ebbs and flows of emotional places that people are going or where they're being directed towards, I feel like makes you a better artist or it makes you like a better creator because you can resonate with that feeling when your nervous system does get hijacked and what illuminating the path back to, to homeostasis. So Mm -hmm. if you go into it you're like, Oh, this is fucking horrible. But then you're able to pull yourself out. I think illuminating that path back is something that great artists can do and have the power to do and sharing that and being like, yo, like, follow this because the only way that everyone's going to be able to get out of this place that we're in collectively is to know that it's possible but then like experience it and then fight their way through it because we're talking about kind of people's like self-accountability and like it's so easy to blame the world for all of our own problems like if i want to speak about the stories that have 
like the sabotage and the people who got in the way and all that kind of stuff, I would be valid and nobody would, they'd be like, oh man, that sucks, Aaron. And everyone would be on my side. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, no, fuck that. Like I'm going to make myself like a weapon to fight this quote unquote, like overlord of distraction or whatever the man behind the curtain is that's controlling everything. It's like, no, I'm going to fucking do the things that I know I can do to defeat that monster. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone has that capability to do so. And I think the more people that recognize that of like, yeah, I recognize the the bullshit that I've been through and my familial trauma and all these people that are scared that are rubbing off shoulders and trying to say that their pain is my pain and we should all be on the same page about everything. I'm like, oh, that's nice of you, but uh, no thank you. Um, I'm going to be at the gym at six o'clock in the morning. Oh, you're not going to be there? All right, that's fine. It's open if you want to go, but... I'm going to go do it. Um, But that at least when I'm speaking about just like that creative flow and just removing self, but still indulging in overconsumption of media, but pulling self out. Yeah. I think it's one, it can, well, for me, I don't want to, I don't know how it is for anybody else, but it is one of the ways that I end up knitting large ideas together by jumping on those weird unfortunately like very tailored algorithmic kind of journeys from one piece of content to the next and then when you kind of when I'm like whoop found the bottom of that one (laughs) and I like kind of pop back out then it's very interesting to look at that chain and be like oh how did this one piece of information connect to this piece of information six pieces later Mm -hmm. um and there, there there are like overarching things themes uh historical themes and and like ideological threads that are knitting things together that you know it's it can be a useful way of finding what the links are to go down the spiral as long as like you know my problem lately and i think a lot of people's problems especially after like three years of just staying inside and looking at screens is that we we just keep going and we we hardly you know some of us hardly like actually come back out mm-hmm. or at least come back out enough with enough of a deep deep enough breath and a long enough time to knit together the ideas mm-hmm. we stay in the um it's almost like a it's like a riff you know you just bounce from one piece of information one tiny piece to another tiny piece and and you can be doing that forever on the internet Mm-hmm. linking yeah. it's like when youtube's just like how about you just watch a video of like a tractor how about this video of like someone making fried eggs and it's like <laughs> wait why <laughs> but then like three hours later you're like watching goat fails yeah <laughs> like what the fuck i need to look that one up what are these links yeah the, yeah the thing is just so many like unclosed loops yeah and it's just like yeah. yo you gotta we gotta close the loop on it there's like there's a part where we have to actualize and be like oh i'm gonna close this loop so then we can put push that to the side but instead it's just like all these un like all these sandwiches that have like three bites taken out of it but yeah. none of the none of the sandwiches are eaten you're still making sandwiches that's right and there's all yeah. these <laughs> half-eaten sandwiches all over the place but it's like finish the damn sandwich um but i do want to talk about like you said you're in a band and following creativity where did creativity lead you after um music and i'm sure you're still into music and Mm -hmm. still play and 
still care about it deeply, but what are some of the other ways that you've explored yourself through your creativity? Well, you know, you, you know this, but I'm a photographer now and that's the, and a, and a writer and, um, some combination of those things is generally what I do for work. Um, and yeah, it was like after I couldn't tour anymore, I felt like I couldn't tour anymore. I just didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I just ended up like back in my hometown trying to figure out like, well, I didn't ever develop any plans for the future while I was touring. I was doing that because it was the most immediately like self annihilating thing that was available to me. Like I can just be insane in front of a room full of people every night until eventually like this van rolls off the road and I die. And like that seemed like a pretty acceptable <laughs> situation. <laughs> Jesus to me. Christ. Uh well dude, I mean like it's dark. Um, but that's how I felt, man. I mean, I like had depression my whole life. Mm. And it was just like this was dude, I mean like, you know, nine eleven and um, you know, Nick News had been showing me climate change since I was like nine. And for some reason all that shit really got in there. And so touring was just being like, I'm not gonna I don't even wanna be thirty. And I, and I, even if I wanted to, I don't see it happening anyway. And like, you know, now that I'm 35, I might've made some different choices if I would have known. But yeah, I was just trying, I just thought like, I'm going to just fucking scream in front of as many people as possible until I like go down in flames. And that, mm. so like when I finished doing all that, I had no idea like what I was trying to do. And, um, I like started spending more time in nature. This is when I like got outdoorsy. And then I, like, started taking pictures of, like, trees and my dog and, like, my friends. And then, you know, eventually people just kind of started saying, like, hey, that's pretty nice. Can I buy that photo? Like, I sold some landscape photos early on. And then people started asking me to, like, take portraits of them. And so then it was, like, it was kind of an accident. I wasn't particularly passionate about photography, except that it was this very natural form of expression that I just fell into because my dad like gave me the camera that he was photographing his friends hiking on Mm. like when he was about my age. And so I wasn't just like, Oh man, I'm going to be a photographer. I was like, this just is something that I can carry around and express myself with creatively Mm. that just kind of accidentally, you know, now whatever number of years later is like my most of my life and is my work Mm -hmm. yeah your photos are amazing like from the first time i saw them i was like oh shit like these are fucking next level thanks man yeah no for sure it's interesting like how people like arrive at like their own like style and it's like some people even like people that have clearly your style they're like i don't even know what my style is but it's like no you have a fucking style and it's something that we I don't know if it's channeled or just like naturally like gravitating towards that space, but like your style is like super, super clean and natural too. It doesn't look like overdone, but it's like, I don't know. You just get like the right moment all the time. Granted, it's like you can click the shutter a million times, but if you get the right one, that's the right one. And it's the one that you decide to share. And more often than not, it's the right one when I look at your work. Yeah, it's 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 like in the selection. A mm-hmm. lot of the time. Um, and the, uh, I had a lot of frustration when I was started to do commercial photography because I was struggling to create things that had the impact and the beauty that I felt I could express. And it took me a long time. Well, first, 
first it took me a long time to gain the trust of the people who wanted to hire me to like send me somewhere cool or pay me enough to be somewhere cool to photograph their shit. Well, you know, it was like a can of wine or like someone's shirt or whatever. It's so much harder to create an impactful image in like the park by my house than it is to like on like a than it is like on a boat on a fjord in Norway. Like mm. and so that's become this like one of my folk with a lot of my focus is like I can if I'm in a place with a camera at a time where the light is beautiful and I've paid attention to the angle of the light and I'm with people who look cool and have a good energy and they're wearing shit that's awesome, I can't really fail. Sure. But it takes a lot of work and 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 a lot of like convincing people. Be like, no, get me somewhere amazing. Mm. And that that's like it, a long for a long time. I was like just mad. I was like, I'm never gonna get the opportunity to make the beauty that I know that I can do. Because I was like looking at all my more successful friends and being like, man, these motherfuckers are in like France or like they're being sent to these like incredible locations with like helicopters and like of course their work's amazing. Of course, that was me like projecting and having jealousy and struggling with my own process. But turns out, like, I was kind of right. Like, the more I convince people to get me into amazing places, like, Mm -hmm. the better the photos are. Yeah. How does that process work? Because I think that's what a lot of photographers like want is because, like, I have the most fun when I'm in another place. But unfortunately, I pay for my round trip ticket every time I go. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Well, that was what it was like for me early on, too. And, and like, I'm really fortunate that, like, I was younger. I had a ton of support from my parents to be like, I have this crazy opportunity. I'm not going to get paid to be at this thing taking photos, like some event in the desert or whatever. I don't have any fucking money because I'm a barista who works like 15 hours a week. And when I was younger, you know, like there were a couple of times where my parents were like, this is a really meaningful opportunity for you to like do a thing that could get you set up in an okay way. And so I was able to kind of like, you know, not have to like self fund things mm-hmm. that were, that helped me get to where I wanted to be to make the images I wanted to make. And I'm like insanely fortunate for that and like crazy grateful. But the process, the way it works now, and of course there were plenty of times where I, also like with my own money would like hit the road with like $750 in the bank or whatever and like drive to Montana because I knew that like the photos that I wanted to make were out there Mm -hmm. and I would come home with like you know an overdraft in my bank account (laughs) and like six photos that I thought were rad Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and it was also like that touring the whole time. It was like, sure. I'm going to leave with 250 bucks and Dude. then like shoplift and just like try to stay alive. Yeah. That trust though. Like, I think it's when you find something that you truly. Thank you, bird. That was great. I know. That was awesome. <laughs> like, I'm like, please sing more. Um, but I, I experienced that even like nowadays. It's like where like the things are, are so important to me take precedent over whatever society deems normal as to where I should be placing my energy as far as like access to capital. I'm just like, oh, no, no, those things are going to come. Those are going to work themselves out. Like driving to Montana is the most important thing that I need to be doing right now. And I'll be fine. Like I will be fine. And it's, and I don't think it's a point of kind of just avoidance or anything like that it's just like following i don't know what that it's that, faith i mean yeah, people call that, it faith yeah it, but I, I i resonate with that like a hundred percent because like i even these last few weeks i'm like 
like what? Like I overdrafted on my business checking account and they take $30 out. Oh, I'm negative like $400 in my on my like <laughs> on my account mm-hmm. and this other place hasn't uh paid me yet that I did a meditation workshop for. I I'm driving Uber and I'm doing all these things, but I got to pay for this video for our dating event and I got to pay for the charcuterie board and I got to like pay for this collateral. I'm like, I don't have this money, but this event has to happen. Yeah. Like we're doing this thing. I don't care what all the, like I'll, I'll work extra. I'll do this. I'll sell this air conditioner that I have. Like I'll make it work because Mm -hmm. these things that we like choose to do with our lives, we have to be like, have to have like the conviction behind it. And that, I think that alone is proof enough that we're on the right path is that you're willing, you're willing to do something that seems crazy in order to get that shot, to get those six photographs and mm-hmm. who knows what the immediate return is, but it's just a piece of the puzzle. It's not the whole thing. Dude, it's with your life work. If you're not playing the long game, you're not playing the game. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there are so many uh, people, incredible, inspiring, influential people who like, I met them years ago. We had a good connection. They liked my work. I loved what they were doing. It felt like an opportunity. And then four years later, they hire me to shoot a campaign. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's exactly like, how it works. <laughs> it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And and if it's just a matter of like staying alive and owning a camera long enough, and and like folk. Well, and the other thing is like, um, I you have to be doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. Like whether anyone tells you that it's cool or chill or giving you permission, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, just it, it's cr- it it one of the things that really frustrates me is how many people with a, who, with amazing perspectives just like don't have the resources to be doing it anyway mm. long enough that the opportunities start to unlock. I think mm. that sucks, man. Yeah. How many people do you think that that's a genuine thing that you know personally, though? Because like anybody who I speak with that like it just sounds like excuses. Like if I feel like if you live in the United States, it's like it's all excuses. There's people that have done have started at like below zero, like under the jail opportunity wise, and Mm -hmm. they make that shit work. So whenever I, I'm very skeptical of anyone that's saying that they can't do something and I'm fucking blessed. Like I am fucking privileged in this place and everyone has their own journeys. Like everyone has their own traumas and whatever and to each their own. But I don't know. I don't, I don't have like a lot of patience for like excuses because I have, I can literally think of like 10 things where I'm just like, oh, I can stop now and I'll be justified. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I think that that's uh something that anyone who's like ma- built their own kind of thing that they do with their life has faced a number of times and then I like some people they face it for the 50th time and go fine fuck I'll stop doing this yeah, it's yeah. too expensive it's too annoying and nobody cares about it mm-hmm. it's like how many times are you going to get fucking punched in yeah. the face I don't know but it's just like you just never know like I think dying like with regret like, I feel like that's something that I don't want to go through. I don't like the feeling of, like, regret, and it's it, mm-hmm. it triggers shame for me. Mm-hmm. Like, even if it's, like, a pretty girl at a bar or something, and, like, she basically winks and, like, gives me the opening, and for whatever reason, I don't do it. 
Yeah, they'd be and then rude. I leave, oh, and I'm like, weird. that feels so bad to me. Yeah, and man. whether that's an opportunity to work with somebody or whatever, or I just fumbled the ball, I was like, I don't like that feeling of regret. And I think that's kind of like where it comes down to like creative processes and what did what do you want, Aaron? Like, what do you what do you actually want? And like, freedom is definitely one of those things. And uh being able to like express myself freely and create things that i want to see in the world that are ultimately for self and for others as as well like i'd be lying if i didn't say that i didn't want these things for myself as well but it's like seeing someone else experience something new and i get to help kind of like nurture that new experience like for someone else like that's a peak experience for me and it's like all right if i'm not doing that then what the hell am i doing wasting time over here and it sounds like i'm just like making excuses and i'm like nah i don't have time for that shit anymore i'm 33 like not too far away from 40 but i'm mm-hmm. i feel like i've just started right now like these last two years i'm like oh this is what it's all about oh i want to do more of this what happened does something lock in uh i think like finally just like the self-acceptance part of things like mom passing away and then just like looking for happiness and validation from others and it was just like you keep running the same loop and i think not closing my own loops like doing like 75 percent of the work and then just thinking that the rest was going to get get finished by the, the person that i handed off to like trying to inspire someone else enough to latch a hold of it and run it the rest the 25% of the way. I'm mm-hmm. like I'm like yo look like I'm sweating. I ran 75% of the way. Like don't you think this is cool? Like all right, here now. And then expect them to run and then they just fucking take three steps and drop it. Yeah. And I'm like I'm done. I quit. I wasn't validated yeah, immediately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then it just dies right there. And then like after my mom passed and just like being in Portland and being around a new community like new environment completely and then like meeting people like i remember the day i met rob and jonathan uh and it was it was on this path of seeking new experiences it was learning how to shoot photos and Mm. i went to school and got a degree in arts and technology which is like video music photography i went to school with you can check out canon like 60ds like nice cameras 70s like i had a full thing never learned how to shoot photos while i was in school until like literally like eight years later where i'm like yo i gotta learn how to shoot so i Mm. picked up a camera started shooting putting myself out there started sharing my work which was a huge thing i never really shared my work until there was like a design week portland event and one of the one of the people, his name is Jason Sturgill, who's been on the podcast, like had like a like a coffee meetup in the morning. And he used to work at Wyden and Kennedy as a recruiter. And I was like, oh, I want to work at Wyden and Kennedy. I better show up to the coffee draw. I meet him there. And he looks at my Instagram. He's like, yo, like you only have one photo. And it was three months ago. And just that like lit a fire in my, under my ass. I was like, painting and taking photos and doing all of my things and just sharing everything Mm -hmm. i'll create produce post move on to the next thing and i'm still doing that shit now like 
to this day, I'm just like, let's complete something. What does it feel like to complete something and move on? Stop judging it, complete it, move on. Don't judge. And that's what the whole process has been is like, oh, like nobody cares. There's no authority like saying like what is good art, what is not good art, what deserves to be here. And I think I had been programmed my whole life of thinking that there was like a general manager of creativity and of all these things. And it's like I have to impress somebody, but it's just like, no, like as soon as I feel something is done, it's done and I move on and I don't care afterwards. And Mm -hmm. that's just given me the freedom to just explore. And there are no repercussions like no one's no one's going to punish me. Right, dude. I think um, one of the things that we've been kind of like robbed of in the like content fire hose is how meaningful it is to share our creative work with each other. And it's one of the things that I woke up to during the pandemic because I watched Japanese breakfast performing live, like on just on video. And like, I thought that that, that album Jubilee was like incredible. And the first song is about writing and performing music and about how it's this like crazy form of like sharing and and the way that it gets wrapped up with like people's projections of how you're sharing and whatever uh, I, that's what i take away from it mm. but anyway i watched this performance and like the the exuberance and the like purity of the outpouring of creative energy and the act of love that that is was so visible mm. even on video like on my laptop screen and i was just shaken and I was like, holy fuck. I have seen 3,000 bands, maybe, you know? And I've always, and because of, like, the way I grew up and, and because that was something I was doing, too, I don't think I ever gave a fuck. I think I'd be moved sometimes by a good performance or whatever, but I don't think I truly internalized what an insane gift it is when someone stands in front of you and says, this is the creative work I made. And I think it's such a fucking ripoff that we are not completely awe-stricken when someone does that. Mm. And, like, when someone shares a piece of writing or just a stupid photo on Instagram, I'm like, yo, you fucking plucked some energy out of the ether and turned it into a thing and then showed it to me. Mm-hmm. Like, this exertion of your willpower and, and your creative energy is now in front of me. Mm-hmm. It would be insane for me not to be absolutely blown away by that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we just, like, we just hop on to, like, the next thing instead of just relishing it. too fast, it. It's yeah. Like we, like, we never just relish it and appreciate it mm-hmm. at all, which is, it's fucking sad. Yeah, dude. Because it's like, it's like if we don't get, and also it's like if we don't get the response that we deem like necessary or that it deserves, then we feel worse about it. Yeah, <laughs> and that connects to what you're saying too. Is like I'm I'm really interested also in just like shipping things. Like this is done enough for me. I need the new. I need to be working on the new idea. Mm-hmm. And and so that is something that's like pretty hard to learn how to do. And it's one of the reasons I think we devalue content because of how devalued our content can feel. Mm. And I've felt really shut down when I've shown people stuff in person and they didn't think it was that cool or they didn't respond in the way I expected them to, or you share a photo and it doesn't like get like, like liked a bunch or reshared a bunch. And like, it's been so healing 
to just be really focused on just working. And like, I don't even know what happens to the things after I send them out anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's the least important part of it. Sure. Except, except that it needs to be done. Mm -hmm. It's like the thing that it makes it real is like, I shove it off and I'm like, do with it what you will, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but like, I'll be over here working. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Having your time with the things that you create. Cause like, that's like the process of, of creating it and the lived experiences that go into the work are just as important as the actual work. It's like, I got to live life along the way. It's like, I went on a bike ride today. I, today I saw that my bike had been stolen. I didn't even realize that it was stolen because it was like in the back of the house, like underneath a tree. And I was like, no one's going to come into my space and steal my bike. Would be crazy. Yeah. So my bike was stolen, but I was like, ah, interesting. I guess I'm going to walk to my meeting downtown. And then like I'm walking and then I'm like, oh yeah, there's Nike bikes. So I checked out a Nike bike and I rode my, rode the bike down downtown. My hat blew off. Um, I'm like, oh shit. And I slammed on the brakes. And luckily there was a guy behind me that was on a bike who picked up my hat and rode by, didn't even stop. He just ha- ha- like held it out. Dude. And I picked it up. I was like, thanks, bro. And then just kept on my way downtown. But it's like those lived experiences. And like it put me in like a really like good creative mood to start concepting the next dating event at the Hoxton Hotel. And I'm in the space and I'm like, oh, this is fun. Like my friend Rob, who's my partner on it, is down there and we're just envisioning what this space is going to be. That's where the DJ booth's going to be. That's going to be the food. They have a kitchen here. We don't have to pay for food this time around. Yeah. Because last time we spent hundreds of dollars on food and they actually have a budget and they're going to help us. Like, so that's rad. the next step. Yeah. But it had to go through the la- the first step of coming completely out of pocket. Now we're meeting a company that's willing to put up some money and maybe we can make some money off of it. And, and all of these experiences, like our photo shoot a couple of days ago, like spending that time outside and just talking and like all of that informs this conversation, which Mm -hmm. is a creative expression. And we're going to drop this podcast and there's the editing process of it and saying yes to everything, all parts of it. And like you said, it's just the long like the long game and fully accepting the long game up front like makes things so much more fun and enjoyable and more present mm-hmm. it's like oh i'm gonna be doing this shit till i'm 70 80 like we're like we're, we're gonna have another podcast way down the road and it's gonna be like yo did you remember that one yeah, yeah. that's been my experience too is like i no one ever does anything that's not connected to every other thing that's ever happened. Mm. You know, I don't have any ideas now that are that were not seeded like every time something important happened to me mm. along the entire course of my life. Sure. Or like, you know, a lot of there's there's like threads from all of my earliest creative expression to the expression that I have today. Mhm. It is just a it's a yeah, it's about like the life, the life's work, mm-hmm. which is like if I were left alone, had no other um, concerns, like let's say whatever, working enough to pay rent or whatever, like what would I be doing? And like I'm in, insanely fortunate to say like I would be doing something like what I'm doing. For sure. You know, I'd be doing less of it for money. I'd be doing weirder, freer, crazier work. Mm. Um, But yeah, it's like kind of like, 
the 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 work that you're supposed to be doing is the stuff that you would do anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's fine if that's like doodling. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I feel like I'm like in the doing it anyway phase, and then like ever so often I'll be blessed with a paycheck from mm-hmm. it. And right. I'm just like, oh, that's enough evidence to just keep on going because I'm having a fucking good time. Yeah. Yeah, doing it anyway, dude. I like to. I've like been thinking about practice, and like I get I get really like eye rolly because I've known so many like boring, fucking city kids with like rich parents who were like, "This is my art practice." And like you made like a mug, dude, and and like I don't know, it, like the word practice, the way that it is connected to this gross kind of like, um, fine art kind of inaccessible like for artists artists who are smocks mm-hmm. um but like i like the idea of it for myself as um that i don't have a goal here i'm practicing <laughs> you know i'm i'm just getting better uh kids like whatever whatever i'm getting better at is none of my business i'm just practicing yeah you know how important is nature in your life Oh man, I'm having a weird relationship with the concept of nature. There's this dude whose work I really like, Farmer Rishi on Instagram. And uh he's really good at articulating this and it's something also that um you just can kind of encounter like um I'm really into the Emerson writing that's called Nature. Um and the idea of nature as a thing that's different from what i am is in many uses of the word essential to how we understand what nature is that it's not me it's somewhere i can go or it's like a feeling i can contact um and that construction feels like uh it's it's decreasing in its usefulness to me Mm. um but i know what you mean when you ask that question and so i'm like not trying to be evasive oh no (laughs) But like being, yeah, being outside, like being, being around like animals, listening to a river, dude, I mean, legitimately saved my life. Like we could rewind to the part where I was like trying to put my life back together after I stopped touring and finally started like camping and spending time outside. Like it was because I had no idea what to do with myself and I didn't want to be anywhere and I didn't know how to like socialize and I just started being like trees feel pretty good to be around (laughs) and yeah i mean it's just being being outside and it's saved my life and and like walking around with bare feet on like the soft floor of the forest and scraping up my arms climbing up a boulder and i mean this shit it's like the quickest portal for me to forget all the bullshit mm-hmm. and the bullshit, but and by the bullshit, I don't mean like the news and whatever. I mean like myself, all my bullshit. It just goes. It's like gone. Yeah, you know. In my transformational journey, per se, like that was like exactly like where I went. Like after my mom passed, it was like, oh, I need to go to, I need to go outside and like do mushrooms. And me and my dog went out to Timothy Lake. And I did some mushrooms and like I meditated, I did yoga, made dinner by myself. And it was just me and my dog just kicking it. And it's like all of the things that we've uploaded throughout our lifetime just wash away. And then it's like we get to start as like a more pure 
version of self when we re-enter society and we can see the bullshit it's like it's smelling you you'd smell it you're like this is smells like bullshit all Dude, i see is bullshit this is all bullshit yeah and i think it's it's a factory reset and it's like oh and that's when like the gratitude like comes in because the gratitude is like when you're out there and you're like seeing everything is life like emerging like from the nothingness like nature is god expressing itself and i am god expressing itself we mm-hmm. are all god expressing itself and <laughs> once we understand that I'm, I'm like oh and there's death all around me too anything that's like from a tree laying on the ground it's like it's dead and like we're surrounded by death and i'm going to be dead one day and the closer the more i sit on on the death component and that it's tied to life it's tied to living and there's no separating the two even though it's like that's a losing battle that we're all trying to fight is mm-hmm. like like these two walls that are destined to close on one another and we're like holding with all of our might and we're straining instead of just like surrendering to what is what's always ultimately going to happen there's like a i don't know like lifestyle like <laughs> concept that i call yield to nature and it's like it always has all the answers, but you just have to wait a little bit longer for it to let the answer be shown instead of letting ego. I know the way I'm going to forge the path and I'm like a go getter and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, no, you can just sit there and the nature, the intelligence in nature will fill right in. Whether that's like a bird landing like right in front of you or whatever that thing is like when I'm out. Like in nature, it's like I have this game that I play with, like the raven. I'm like, I know you're watching, talking to the raven. And I'm like, oh, like, oh, you're around here. I can feel you. Mm-hmm. And tuning into this flow that we've been so disconnected from and creating that relationship to the trees and to everything. Yeah. And, and your own consciousness as a part, as emergent from <laughs> these surroundings. It's like, this is a part of it. Um, and I might have lost a lot of people, but it's like it's your own relationship to yeah. it that you need to foster. It it is, and and I think like the discernment between the boundaries of my consciousness and the like ambient consciousness of what we call nature. There's no actual boundary. Mm-mm. It's a it's a it's Not that's a construction. Yeah, we are so much less individual than we think we are. In the grand scheme, like, there's just, like, my this, like, the stuff in my body is currently electrified. <laughs> and, like, both the stuff and the electricity will reintegrate. Mm-hmm. And the ideas that I have um, and the feelings that I have and the sensations I experience um, and even on the atomic and subatomic levels, like... We, I am exchanging all of that with the environment that I am in constantly. Mm-hmm. I have a constructed sense that there's a physical and a metaphysical boundary between who I am and these things occurring around me. But it, that's what it is. It's a constructed sense. There's no material reality or even, in my opinion, a pure ideological assessment that justifies believing that I'm separate from what is around me. Marketing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting, but it's like I think that's the therapy. At least what I've recognized in my own life is is just getting back out, go camping, feet on the ground, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you get back back into contact. Mm-hmm. Cuz like the I do think that the cities are um they're not conducive to that connectivity. Uh, or they like further well like I also as you mentioned like it smells bad here. It's pretty ugly here. Not Portland, but like, you know, cities. Mm-hmm. I think our senses get a bit duller because they have to because it's weird. Mm-hmm. It's noisy and it like kind of sucks. Yeah. And then you go someplace where our organism evolved over whatever tens of millions of years to exist in and suddenly like all the latent kind of sensory experience awakens Mm -hmm. because your animal body is going like yeah dude finally this is where you're supposed to be (laughs) hanging out (laughs) yeah like defense the defenses just fall it's like i don't need to protect myself right now yeah yeah that's the best feeling when you don't feel like you have to be on guard about anything it's like obviously there are threats and whatnot yeah right (laughs) like like if you see a bear i don't know what to do but way more likely to die here in the city like riding a bike sure you know like it's dangerous here man dude so i was out uh at like a creek like maybe like an hour out of the city and i took some mushrooms and me and my friend joshua was there he's like a tea like the tea guy like he's like oh this is a 1980s puer blah 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 blah. i'm like lit (laughs) so he brings his burner everywhere he's in new york and he flew out here with his fucking water boiler and his whole tea setup and everything and we post up and like pouring tea and just chilling and just usually when i do mushrooms i'm like out by myself or with like one other person not seeing like a bunch of like families and stuff around but something i noticed was that there was like these two women probably like late 30s like kind of morbidly kind of morbidly obese like just not healthy just no judgment just like this is what i saw and mm. one of them was kind of like limping and you can just tell this like oh like hip tightness and she's not in good shape she's not healthy but they showed up with like five kids like under four years old and first thing i was like where are the where are the men in the family and just thinking about society as a whole and it's like there's a lot of like fatherless households and not to project but it's like yo all right well they could be anywhere they could be at work they could do whatever or they could be completely out of their lives Mm -hmm. and i saw another version of that where it's like two women and three kids and then like a few other women it's just a bunch of like single women with like massive army of kids i was like all right there's no the only fathers i saw was the asian family where there's like three kids two women and two men i was like oh those are two families everybody else was just like this like the uh, women were doing the yeah child they were, care. yeah they're, yeah they were doing the child care but like something that i saw i don't know how this wraps in but the two women that brought like the like the four or five young kids who are completely out of shape, like, like, what are y'all doing? There was, like, a cliff, and they were walking up the side of this ridge to this cliff to jump into the water. And I'm looking at them. I'm like, yo, if something happens to you, who's watching the kids? It's like you are not in the shape to be jumping off of a 20-foot cliff right now for to impress these strangers in front of you. It's like, yeah, like, have fun and whatever, but it's like, yo, you have, like, people to take care of 
and and i was like going through this like mind like ex- i was like yo like do you do you all not see like like what is happening right now and and just like what would bring someone to do something like that and mm. yeah that could be like my judgment but i just was thinking like oh shit like what if homegirl breaks her leg and she has to go to the hospital <laughs> you know what wondering about this means you would have to take care of the kids <laughs> <laughs> entirely possible <laughs> like that's like this thing that i've like slowly begun to accept that like i have no aspirations toward leadership or or and i'm i'm quite reticent to do very much of anything anytime mm. but unfortunately i notice everything which means i'm always fucking cleaning I'm always asking people how they're doing. I'm always trying to figure out the thing that's going to like make things better Mm. because unfortunately I'm just noticing and like, that's what makes a caregiver and a leader. Not that those are my aspirations at all, but it's just like you, you kind of end up just volunteering for sure. The the one who notices. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. And it's like, I, I guess it's like partially like intuitive as well. It's just like, what is the best thing for this scenario? Like I notice it work working with people and I've been working on creative projects with people for not very long, but like I've enjoyed it thus far, but just noticing the pull to like notice what needs energy and what needs attention. And yeah, like, like the hierarchy of needs within this construct of things that just need to get done and like how they need to get done and and whatnot and delegating and all that kind of stuff, which I, I think it's kind of fun, but I think I've, I guess I don't seek to be a leader, but it's like, that's just what I am. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I'm completely okay with it, but it's like going into the unknown, just being curious and then finding something and then just communicating what I found. And if you call that a leadership, then fine, whatever. Yeah. But it's just like the the seeking nature of just wanting to find deeper levels of connection, deeper levels of truth, and willing to go to that place that nobody else is going. Fine. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I encounter this with work a lot. Um, or I, I should say I have encountered this, and it's likely that I will again. There's a distinction, I think, between vision and leadership when it comes to how you direct or how a team of people is going to operate to meet a goal. And like people who start companies, they have like strong vision. They usually start the company alone. And then usually when it grows enough where they have to hire people, it gets awful for them and the people that they hire Mm -hmm. because they have good vision and they're bad leaders. Yeah. And unfortunately we try to force people to be both. Damn, maybe I'm a visionary. I'm not saying that. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you are. You might, I also feel like you might be a good leader. Some people are both. But I think those skill sets are pretty different from each other. Mm-hmm. Like a visionary has to be able to go off, to go up the mountain or whatever and like, you know, meet the eagle and like yeah. have the fucking come back with a feather. But then it's like the visionary is like talking about the poetic wisdom of the Eagle and the team is just being like, where do I fucking put this pile of wood? Mm -hmm. Like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) So then like, you know, I think leaders can kind of liaise between the visionaries and the, and the, um, I call them sewers, Mm. people who, who do the, who move their hands. Yeah. 
you know. Yeah, I feel like I'm doing all of those things these days. Yeah, well, that's how a lot of us are when we're like doing, like starting a lot of stuff or, mm-hmm. or yeah, yeah, founding things. Yeah, yeah. I think getting past that point of the need for validation, it's like, oh, no one else is going to do this shit, so I got to do it myself. Yeah. That's the point. And then once I have the, I was on TikTok yesterday and there was like this video talking about leadership and it was like, this festival and there was one guy that was just like ecstatic dancing by himself for like five minutes and he's just dancing 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 and then one other person comes over and starts dancing and they were talking about like how important that one other person is just to kind of show like that's honestly like the most important person is the the second person that comes in there dude it's huge is is like oh like you inspired this one other person like that's the leader right there is like the person who sees something and is like, you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to join this person. And then slowly but surely it's like three other people show up and then four, five, 15. And then there's like 50 people in what was once like everyone just kind of like sitting back judging. Mm-hmm. Now that if you were sitting back and not dancing, you were in the outcast group. Yeah, totally. And it's like, yo, yeah. what's wrong with y'all? Even though everyone was in that same space before, which is a very like beautiful like uh, example of like what leadership is and and like what is necessary to make new things happen in this world because it's so easy just to sit back and just judge anyone who's out there just trying to do a cartwheel that doesn't have good form and it's like trying to judge something that you've never even conceived mm-hmm. and then it's like how do you con- how do you communicate something that's never been conceived in someone else's consciousness and and it's just like yo like trust me like i got this like can you believe in me mm-hmm. but not being dependent on them believing on you to do the thing yeah watching somebody live an idea in front of you is like one of is way more convincing than mm-hmm. someone saying like here's my idea yeah most definitely most <laughs> definitely yeah. and like that's one of yeah that's one of those things is like i i'm i get really exhausted trying to explain my ideas to people mm-hmm. and i I am way more centered and focused and and happier when I'm just kind of living them, whether or not anybody is receiving it. Mm -hmm. They tend to receive it better than when I explain it, though, too. For sure. They most definitely, and they'll reach out. Yeah, for sure. And they'll send you messages, and it's like, oh, like, maybe I am doing it. I hadn't thought about it, but now that they're reaching out, there must be something that's working. Yeah, that's, I love, I love when someone mirrors back, like, an authentic expression where I'm like, I didn't really know. That that was the like thing that anyone might take away from this, mm-hmm. and it really like it's enlightening on so many levels. Yeah, the feedback portion of it, because it's like I'm not gonna have like a focus group on like, hey everybody, like tell me what you think about the things that I've put into the world, even yeah. though it's like I really want to know. Yeah, I right. really, really, really want to know. But when people like offer that genuinely, like without being coerced into it, it's very much appreciated. Like if someone says like I listened to this podcast, I'm like, what? You listened? What? Are you serious? Thank <laughs> yeah. you so much. This is great. Do you want to record one too? Like, yeah. like I'm very like grateful for people to share that thing, and I think that's what's necessary for things to change in the world is like the sharing part of it and stop being like you're not a lame if you if you say that someone's painting was good. Like you can you can say that you appreciate their their offerings. I make sure to tell all of my friends that are making things i'm like yo like i like the way that you do that and that's fucking awesome like like when i look at like rob's like the 
designs that he made. I'm like, yo, this is the coldest shit in the world. Like, I want to wear this shit every day. Like, this yeah. is my shit. Like, favorite. Top to bottom. It's crazy good, man. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll wrap up with Earth Studies. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> How did you, like, what is your role within Earth Studies? Like, the dopest. I don't even, I'm hesitant to call it a brand because it's not, it's just its own entity that is ever evolving. Yeah, it's a little universe. I mean, that's the goal. It's what it is for me and I think for Rob too is that it's a set of ideas. It's like a set of um, ideological approaches to being alive that its current manifestation is a bunch of products. Um, I think we'll be thinking and writing and making stuff about these sets of ideas for a long time. And in many ways, like, I already have. But, yeah, we make, like, pants. <laughs> uh, and, like, we're about to drop, like, some bags and a planter, which is cool. Um, and my role within it um, is that uh, Rob is kind of, like, visionary mode. Uh, he's a, he's actually a fantastic leader, and I, I don't think he would really actually cop to that. But, like, I think he really is. He's a mm-hmm. strong communicator, and he's really articulate at getting his, oftentimes, like, pretty obtuse vision into something that's digestible and understandable what i do with rob is is i take that stuff in whatever digested or undigested and raw nebulous kind of forms and i distill that into ideas and images and words that anyone encountering our stuff in in the real life is gonna be a a, able to understand and be like attracted to and inspired by Mm -hmm. so basically kind of like we work together a little bit on product, like we talk about the colors and the materials and where pockets should be and how things should feel to wear and, and whatever, but I'm not like a product guy necessarily. Mm-hmm. I, like, I think it's really cool. I have a lot of interest in it, but it's not my background. So yeah, we, we work on the ideas behind the products. Rob develops the products, and then he and I figure out together like what is the essential idea here, and then I basically turn that into something that people can can encounter and, and have a good time interacting with mm-hmm. basically convincing them to buy it. But what that's essentially not my focus. I want to be truthful about what our ideas are mm-hmm. and I want it to be fun and easy for people to, to experience those ideas. Yeah, most definitely. And it's like, once people encounter it, it's like, I feel like both of you guys do a good job of just getting out of the way from the art and from the expression because it speaks for itself like once people gain proximity to it it's just like oh this is the product is obviously good like yeah. it's like yeah i was like see it, like, like super I'm good like, this is like, this is better than the shit in the stores like like 10 times better i've worked in the stores it is yeah it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's it's fucking like mind-blowing and i'm just like oh this is Thanks, where it's man. at and like just I'm just so blessed to have like proximity to in genuine friendship with you guys. Like that's the thing. It's like oh we're blessed. Like I'm just like oh my god, this is so fucking cool. It's like I'm like I got the most talented friends in the on the face of the earth. Like like unmatched aesthetics, like curation, intention, like most genuine people in the world. And I'm surrounded by it. Like I have Mm -hmm. so many versions of of that just that and that's what makes me like excited and inspired to be able to have access and and to be inspired and and even like input too it's like i'm like oh i really appreciate like the pocket inside of the pocket for the phone i'm like i've never seen that before and when i when 
like I encounter people, I make sure to tell people, I'm like, oh yeah, like my friend Rob designed these. I feel the pocket inside my pocket. Yeah. Like, you know when my I'm phone stoked. doesn't look like a goofy turd in yeah. my front pocket right yeah. now? Because there's like a clever little thing that yeah. keeps it from doing that. Yeah. And that level of just like innovation and insight and just like, I don't know. It's just, it's a form of compassion that um, isn't really prioritized in this hyper consumptive culture and so when you take a second and realize that like you can go slow and get your idea the way that you want it instead of rushing to market and compromising it's like no there's no corner cutting for the sake of like what the what the rest of the world perceives or deems normal or the standard or the way things should be it's like no we're gonna do the things that we want to do we're gonna make some meals in between time we're gonna pass the onion and the cheese grater and take our fucking sweet time like like listening to music and yeah living life most of mine and rob's text thread is like do you want to go camping here's this sick music i just found Mm -hmm. and then and then we talk about our studies like when there's stuff that needs to be done. Yeah. You know, but we're mostly like sharing ideas and like sharing ways of living with each other. Yeah. That's beautiful. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our beautiful listeners? Oh, just, um, you know, just want to thank you. And I also want to just tell you that like the reason you're surrounded by all these fucking rad, authentic, interesting people, is like obvious. (laughs) (laughs) What's the common thread? (laughs) Yeah, that's the truth. Well, thank you, Brandon, and thank you all for listening to Opening Presence.